So, uh, anyway, uh, does anyone here struggle with patience besides me? Anybody? It's one of the, the fruits of the Spirit that I think I struggle with the most, especially when we're out somewhere, uh, because I hate to wait. For, whether it's in traffic or at the bank or at the so-called fast food drive-up, and, and maybe more than all of those places, I hate to wait at the supermarket checkout line. Right? So, so much so that I, I actually looked up and researched a psychological study and profile about how to pick the fastest, most efficient line. And, and before you ask, no, I'm not sharing that information with you because if I do, then you'll all use it and I'll still be stuck waiting. But seriously, I, I think though you'll agree with me that we all at least a little bit of the time have an impatient nature. Right? Le leading one comedian and social critic to write, uh, it's been said that we live in the microwave generation. Uh, in this day and age, we uh, obtain things now faster than ever before, and yet it's still not good enough, not fast enough for our speedy preferences. Uh, nuked popcorn still takes too long. Full dinners in a skillet take too long to heat. Uh, our fast food bags don't pop out of the drive through window quickly enough for our taste. Uh, our young folks today get married and expect to have the same things our parents had after 25 years of marriage, a, a new car, a nice home, extra spending money, and the truth is these things all take time to acquire, uh, and he finishes up by saying, and yet our hurried, frantic minds can't grasp the concept because we don't want to wait. This generation wants things now. And, and as accurately as I, I think that illustrates uh, and hits the mark there, I think I would add to that that impatience uh, is maybe nowhere more palpable than when we see an injustice. Uh, whether it's uh, an injustice in the world around us or something that's been done to us, a wrong that we've experienced, and we start to wonder just how long is it going to be until God steps in and does something about it. And you're going to really hear that same type of, of impatience, that same type of frustration play out in today's psalm. Uh, you already sung it. As David grapples with the wrongs that have been done to him, but yet his confidence that God had it under control. So if you're following along, I encourage you to open your Bible to Psalm 56 in the Psalter. Uh, it's superscribed to the choir master according to the dove on far off terabiths a mitkan of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath. And David writes, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crimes will they escape? In wrath cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? And then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? 
I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. It's the word of the Lord. You know, all, really all joking aside, I, I do like to think of myself as a decently patient person. Right? And, you know, I, I know I get anxious about things, of course, and, but overall, I, I really understand that old adage that good things come to those who wait, and, you know, usually the, the end result is well worth the time spent, but knowing that and actually applying it can sometimes be pretty tough, right? Like, like the, the man I read about who uh, wanted to rob a downtown New York Bank of America who walked into the branch and he wrote this really kind of crudely written note on a, a pad said, this is a stick-up, put your money in the bag, I have a gun. And he wrote it on the, on the back of a deposit slip. And so not wanting to attract too much unwanted attention, he went and stood in line as he was waiting to give it to the teller. But he started to get kind of nervous and impatient because the lobby was so busy. So he left Bank of America and goes across the street to a Wells Fargo branch, where after waiting only a couple minutes in line, he hands the note to the Wells Fargo teller. She read it, but surmising from how crudely it was written, she figured he wasn't exactly the brightest light in the harbor. Uh, she took a chance, and she said to him uh, she couldn't accept his stick-up note because it was written on a Bank of America deposit slip. <laughs> now, this, this is a true story, guys, because you can't make this stuff up. And that he would either have to fill out a Wells Fargo deposit slip with the note or go back over to Bank of America. And incredibly, the man said, okay. And so he left. And the Wells Fargo teller then calls the police who arrested the man a few minutes later as he was waiting in line back at Bank of America, disarmed the man of a kid's water pistol. Uh, and of course, nobody got hurt and no damage was done. But that wasn't the case for David when he wrote Psalm 56, was it? Because it was written in the context of a real threat. Uh, and it was written on more than just uh, the presence of a perceived danger. Because 1 Samuel uh, 21 actually gives us a historical background. It's part of a story that we actually looked at before with David on the run from King Saul. And you might remember it's part of the story where David acted insane in front of one of the Philistine kings. Uh, and was eventually run out of town. If you remember when the Philistine king asked his advisors if he didn't have enough madmen of his own on staff, basically, that they had to bring him one more. Uh, and so from there, King David hid himself in a cave called Adalam. And it was in that cave, in that, that dark place, where he really felt humiliated and, and crushed and alone basically where he hit rock bottom, you might as well say, that he wrote Psalm 34 and he wrote our text for this week, Psalm 56. And he starts it out with a prayer. He prays, be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long and attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long for many attack me proudly. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, in, in God whose word I praise in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? And you know, I think the one thing that we've learned in our look through Psalms is that in David's life, whenever he finds himself in trouble, the first thing he does is run to God in prayer. Uh, and today's Psalm is no different as he kind of looks around 
uh, and realizes he's surrounded by enemies and, and at the same time recognizes he's got a choice to make. Is he going to trust in God's grace or is he going to rely on his own resources? And, you know, that's a perfect lesson for us today because, you know, no matter who you are, you've got enemies, right? Now, for some of us, that may be folks that were former friends or once close family members or colleagues or business partners. But, you know, even if you don't have any of those, everyone in this room has a spiritual adversary. And we are, are all, whether you realize it or not, in a daily battle with an enemy that the Bible says prowls around like a roaring lion ready to devour us. But, you know, either way, whether it's a flesh and blood bully or a, a spiritual foe, we all go through times when we feel like we're being kicked around for no reason, don't we? Right? You know, times when we feel like the deck is stacked against us, uh, when, when our lives are caving in. And when that happens, all we want to know is when is it going to end? When is it going to stop? When, when is God going to act? And how long does he expect my patience to hold out? Right? David certainly felt that way when he said in these next couple of verses, uh, he says, all day long, right? That's about the third time he said that. They injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps and they have waited for my life. And then he asks, will their crimes be allowed to escape? Will they get away with it? You know, just like David, when we face troubles and terrible situations, our emotions get raw, don't they? But you know, when they do, David wants us to know that God doesn't expect us to hide that. He doesn't expect us to hide it from ourselves or from him or from anyone else for that matter. We don't have to try to pretend that everything is okay. Because the Holy Spirit through David has given us the language to let God know exactly how we feel about whatever it is that we're facing. Uh, and, and since we know we can never really hide anything from him anyway, he's showing us that the right place to vent our fears and our frustrations are not to dump them on all the other people around us, but to take them to God because he's the only one that can really do anything about it anyway. And so David, he did that. He brought his complaint to God in no uncertain terms. David is saying, look, Lord, these, these people and, and these problems don't let up. And not only that, sometimes they gang up and come on me all at once. Uh, and some of you guys know that feeling. Some of you know what that feels like. And so as I've said right from the beginning of this journey, all the way back in Psalm 1, do yourself a favor and pray through these psalms. Pray through them, at least one every day. Whatever you're facing, and tell it to God because He knows. And He cares, and He wants us to come to Him. Not leaning on our own understanding, but trusting. Trusting in Him and, and trusting in His timing, and maybe even more, trusting in His tenderness. That's why David wrote, You've kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Do you, you ever lay in bed at night and toss and turn and try to go to sleep and wonder if anybody notices, right? If anybody cares. If anybody cares about what you're going through or the pain that you're experiencing or the heartache or the disappointment. You might even find yourself wondering if God even cares. And if you do, or if you have, King David would let you know that you're not alone. 
even if nights like that have occasionally brought you to the point of tears. Now that one, for me, that was a little bit of a tough one for me because I'm not much of a crier. Uh, even to the point where Vicky has joked around that she doubts whether I would even cry at her funeral. But since I plan on dying first, we'll never know, honey. Uh, and it's not, it, honestly, it's not some kind of macho thing like men don't cry and, and all of that. Uh, that's just who I am. I think, honestly, I think it's part of the spiritual gift of ministry that God has given me where, I, unfortunately, I'm exposed to and, and see and hear a whole lot of things that are worth crying over. But if I fell apart every time something heartbreaking happened, I wouldn't be much of a help or a comfort to people who need me. So... Uh, but just parenthetically, by the way, fellas, if you do find yourself in a situation that brings you to the point of tears, you're not alone. Because uh, I think, you know, all of us would be hard-pressed to find a better example of human masculinity than King David, right? He, he was the epitome of man's man. He, he was a skilled hunter and outdoorsman. He uh, was an accomplished warrior, whether it was in hand-to-hand -hand combat uh, or guerrilla warfare or all-out battle. He was a consummate leader. He was the kind of man that other men wanted to follow. Uh, and evidently, according to Scripture, he was so handsome that women practically fell at his feet. And on top of that, evidently, he was brave enough to admit sometimes life could make him cry. And when he did that, God noticed. And not just noticed, but stepped in to carry the load. And if you... If you were here for the memorial service on Saturday, you have some idea of where I'm headed with this thought because the Bible also gives us another example of a godly man who didn't shy away from tears, uh, and that was our Lord Jesus. And unfortunately, I don't really have enough time left to do that thought justice but in this setting, so I just want to point you to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 that tells us, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleading with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. And, and so I think the message here is pretty clear that when you and I go through uh, times, trying times, times that test the limits of your peace and your patience, whether you're, you're a man or a woman, don't try to be too cool or too tough or too sophisticated. Uh, don't hold back the tears if they come. Right? Just let them go and cry out to God for help because when we come to God in humility and in honesty, that's when we begin to see the world from his perspective. We recognize he can change our situation and we also recognize that if not, that if, even if he doesn't change our situation, he can change our hearts so that we can handle whatever comes our way. The only trouble with that is that rarely happens overnight. There's that patience thing again, right? Because, like, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm in a jam and I pray and, and have a problem, I want it to go away, like, over, you know, right now, immediately. The only trouble with that is sometimes the problem is me. Okay? Sometimes the problem is me. Kind of like, uh, I know I told you guys this one before, but it's a story of a kindergarten teacher who was helping a, one of her little students pull his boots on. And, and he asked for help, and the teacher could see why, because with her pulling and, and him pushing the boots, they, they still didn't go on. And by the time she got the second boot on, the teacher had already worked up quite a sweat. So you can imagine she almost lost it when the little boy said, uh, Teacher, these are on the wrong feet. <laughs> and, and well, she looked, and sure enough, they were. And, and it wasn't any easier pulling the boots off than it, it had been pulling them on, but 
she did manage to keep her cool as they kind of worked together to get the boots back on. And this time on the right feet, when the little boy suddenly decided to announce, hey, teacher, guess what? These aren't my boots. <laughs> well, was, she, she, she bit her tongue rather than get in his face and, and, and scream, why didn't you say that to start with like she wanted to? But you, once again, she struggled to help him pull the boots off, only to hear the little guy finally finish his story by adding, yeah, they're my brothers. My mom made me wear them today. <laughs> well, at, at that point, she didn't know whether she should laugh or, or cry, so she mustered up the grace to wrestle the, the boots on his feet again and said, now, honey, where are your mittens? And the little boy goes, oh, that was easy. I always stuff them in the toes of my boots. Right? <laughs> Did you ever have a day like that? <laughs> Talk about patience, right? That's why we pray for teachers, folks. Right? But that's why one commentator wrote, the purposes of God often develop slowly because his grand design is never hurried. Right? His grand design is never heard. That was written by the great New England preacher Philip Brooks. You, you New Englanders may know him. A man noted for his poise and quiet manner. But he also famously said, the trouble is that I'm in a hurry and God isn't. I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. And haven't we all felt that way from time to time? But see, that's where patience and faith come in. As David writes, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? And those words of comfort that David relied on weren't just for him, they're for all of God's people. In fact, so much so that the writers of Hebrews quoted them hundreds of years later in his desire to help us understand what kind of helper God is for us. And so Hebrews 13, uh, the writer actually quotes Psalm 56. He says, so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? And I think that his, uh, the point here is that, you know, if you're like me, I want to look at these things and say, well, you know, that, that all sounds really good, but I'm not actually feeling it, right? I know it, and, and I can read it here, and I, I believe it, but nothing feels any different, does it? And that's when David jumps back in and tells us, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. And David's saying we have to do something here. And that is we have to remember. We have to remember what God has done for us and what God has done for his people in the past. And, and, and what he's done for us in our own lives. And I think though for us modern day Christians, this is kind of where the wheels come off the cart. Because our modern age is very emotion oriented. Uh, and don't misunderstand, we already said there's nothing wrong with emotions but they're also not the only thing, right? I really like that line that I shared with you before, uh, that we live in a time when people think because they've caught the finger of emotion that they've captured the fist of truth. Right? They, people think they got a hold of the finger of emotion and have captured the fist of truth because too many people uh, have too much of their faith based solely on emotions and feelings. But you know, emotions are subject to change. They ebb and flow, and when we're under attack and our emotions are afraid, that's when we need to have something solid to rely on. Something unchangeable in an ever-changing world. Uh, and again, that's where Psalm 56 doesn't disappoint us, but gives the answer, uh, not once, but, but three times, actually. If you notice, David said, In God whose word I praise, in God whose word I praise, in God 
whose word I praise. You think you wanted to get your attention? All right, repetition, uh, especially you guys in Sunday school know this, repetition in Hebrew writing is the equivalent of us using an exclamation point or underlining something or highlighting it. It's to get your attention. It's a way to make sure you don't miss it. Uh, and generally, it's only a double repetition, like when Jesus would start out a sermon and say, truly, truly. But triple repetition raises an idea to the superlative. And that's the right place for the Word of God. It's in a, a class by itself. It's over and above the whims of popular culture. It's what theologians call extra nos. It means it comes from outside of us, outside of human influence and human interference. It's that solid place to land when the world around us seems upside down. And because God's word reminds us that God is for us. It reminds us that God loves us and that he can be trusted. Even when we walk through those dark valleys, just like David did, who closes this psalm by saying, For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. And you know, today you and I have that same blessed hope, uh, a hope that David could only wait for in the future, but one that the Bible tells us is certain and sure. In fact, it calls it an inheritance kept in heaven for you and for me, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. So be truly glad, even though we must endure many trials for a little while, and your reward and my reward for trusting him will be the salvation of our souls. Amen.